Welcome to the podcast for Epworth United Methodist Church in Berkeley, California. I'm Pastor Kristen Stone King. Our mission at Epworth is to live out God's love for all. We strengthen our faith as we worship, study, develop a creative, supportive community, and serve others. Together, we encourage each other, challenge each other, and welcome all people on their journey of faith. We are a reconciling congregation, meaning that persons of all sexual orientations and gender identities are welcomed to help transform our church and our world into the full expression of Christ's inclusive love. We are a sanctuary church advocating for the rights and dignity of immigrants, and we stand in solidarity with the movement for Black Lives. blends a taste of the music that we experience here in worship on Sunday mornings, along with a scripture reading and a message.
My name is Dana Buntrock, and uh, I read from the New Interpreter's Bible. And before I begin the reading, which is from Galatians chapter 6, verses uh, 7 to 16, I wanted to read a little bit about this particular passage and about Galatians, the letter to the Galatians as well. The New Interpreter's Bible says that uh, because of its teaching on justification by faith, Paul's letter to the Galatians is one of the most significant writings of the New Testament. It says, the letter is Paul's response to a crisis occasioned by people who came to Galatia after his departure. Although he never identifies them, they were probably Jewish Christians who deeply revered the Mosaic law. They believed in Jesus as the Messiah and were prepared to welcome the Galatians into the Commonwealth of Israel provided the Galatians were circumcised and observed the prescriptions of the Mosaic law. Although their reasoning seemed strange to contemporary believers, it had a compelling logic that may be summarized this way. Jesus was the Messiah of Israel. Gentiles who wished to share in the benefits of Israel's Messiah must become descendants of Abraham through circumcision, the sign of the everlasting covenant that God made with Abraham. And circumcised, they must adopt the Jewish way of life by doing the works of the law. Thus, they will share in the blessings of Israel's Messiah. Finally, later on, he says, because of this new understanding of the law, Paul viewed the preaching of those who came after to Galatia as a perversion of the gospel. And he warned the Galatians that if they circumcised themselves, Christ would be of no benefit to them. A person is not justified by doing the works of the law, but by having trusting faith in Christ. Specifically to two verses, verse 12 and 13, the interpretation also says, 
Paul accuses the intruding missionaries of having false motives for urging circumcision. They want to boast to other zealous proponents of the law and avoid being persecuted by them. So now on to the reading. This is Galatians chapter 6, verse 7 to 16. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked, for you reap what you sow. If you sow your own flesh, you will reap corruption from the flesh. But if you sow to the Spirit, you will reap eternal life from the Spirit. So let us not grow weary in doing what is right, for we will reap at harvest time if you do not give up. So then, whenever you have an opportunity, let us work for the good of all, and especially for those in the family of faith. See what large letters I make when I am writing in my own hand? It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh that try to compel you to be circumcised, only that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. Even the circumcised do not themselves obey the law, but they want you to be circumcised so that they may boast about your flesh. May I never boast of anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision nor uncircumcision is anything, but a new creation is everything. As for those who will follow this rule, peace be upon them, and mercy, and upon the Israel of God. Thus ends the reading. Our heart cries, be magnified, O in this your holy temple, and this your holy place, and we will rise to Zion high to praise and glorify, unify, oh how we love you, oh how we praise you, oh how we worship, oh Lord, oh how we love you, oh how we praise you, oh how we worship. Oh, Lord, our hearts Christ, be magnified in this, your holy temple, in this, your holy place, and we will rise to Zion high to praise and
Thank you, choir. Thank you, Charles. Thank you, Jerry. Will you pray with me, please? Gracious and loving God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Well, this week, Epworth member Carol Baumbauer sent me the photo that you have on the front of your bulletin or on the screen if you're worshiping online. She's in her home state of Montana, and I, I love that the, you know, the way that Carol Baumbauer found Epworth is that she was, she, her mother was at her Methodist church in Montana, and, and a, a person connected with this congregation was traveling there, and, and they said, what's, the, what's, a, what's a church that she should go to into the Bay Area? <laughs> Epworth! So Carol has been a part of this congregation since she arrived for her PhD studies back in 2017. And um, she's, she's there, she's doing the writing on her dissertation and she snapped this beautiful photo. To me, it was a, a witness to America, the beautiful, and it was a real antidote to the feelings that I was having about America this week. The beauty of the photo bears witness to some of the best of this nation, quite different from many of the depictions of our nation popping up as notifications on, on my phone, and maybe yours too. I get the New York Times notifications, January 6th hearings, Supreme Court rulings, not exactly what I call beautiful lately. Yet in many ways, this land known as America has always been a place of tensions and contradictions. A country ostensibly established for freedom of religion, but done so through the subjugating and in some cases even the eradication of another people's spiritual belief system. A place founded on the idea of freedom of personhood, but only full personhood for some. A land of great beauty, but held in tension with a lack of access, a land of opportunity, but one that demands stewardship. The Methodist Church has sometimes been called the most American of churches. Even though we are a global denomination, our system of governing ourselves is similar to the branches of government of this nation with an executive, a legislative, and judicial branch. We prize democratic, decision-making. We have a book of rules that gives order to our common life together. And we quarrel, just like citizens of this nation do, about who is the most Methodist, who is the truest Methodist. And such quarrels presume that there is some perfect Methodist or some America to which we orient. And of course, we know this is not the case. The United States of America and the United Methodist Church and the Christian Church in general have always been imperfect and diverse, flawed in their imperfection, flawed in the same ways that their human creators, we, are also flawed. So the next time you hear someone trying to prove their bona fides as a Methodist or as an American, 
their true allegiance to some sort of original perfection, well, they're trying to orient themselves to something that never existed in the first place. In our scripture today from Galatians, Paul is trying to get the Galatians off of their focus of judgment and one-upmanship, their suggestion that there is a true or a better Christian. In early Christian communities, the question of circumcision got a lot of attention as a measure of who was the truer Christian. Was this required of the new Christians? Were Christians who were circumcised somehow better than those who weren't? And into this debate, Paul enters and says, you're missing the point. You're focused on the flesh, and the point of the Christian life is to focus on the spirit. Now, now please don't misunderstand me. I'm not suggesting that I, be, I, I believe in some sort of duality of flesh and spirit, where one aspect of our being is better than the other or separate from the other. That is actually the same mistake that the early Christians were making in focusing on circumcision or not circumcision. Paul is trying to bring the early Christians, and now us, into a oneness of spirit and flesh and a focus on faith and God and life and love above all else. Verse 8 in the scripture that you heard Dana read this morning is this. For the one focusing on his own flesh will reap decay, but the one sowing to the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life. New Testament scholar Richard Hayes says that verse 8 encapsulates the message of the letter as a whole. It is not a moralistic warning against sensual self-indulgence. It is not that. Instead, it is a warning against placing confidence in anything that belongs to the realm of the merely human, particularly circumcision. Paul insists that only the Spirit of God has the power to confer life. Well, as the Methodist movement began to take shape and form in the 1700s, first through the life and preaching of John Wesley, what's clear is that Wesley was focused, and some say obsessively so, on his own spiritual pulse as manifested in his physical body and his spiritual life. And the more um, he, he focuses on this, he takes copious notes, he has journals upon journals. Actually, we appreciate these journals now. <laughs> but, but, the, but the magnitude of his self-examination um, is quite remarkable. And, and what he begins to realize is that this this focus on the, his assessment of his spiritual life, the more he does it, the more he focuses on it, the more he obsesses about it, the more he is chained to this world. One of the other men that Wesley was active with in the, in the Holy Club, that group that he established with Charles Wesley, his brother at Oxford University uh, for study and prayer and devotion. They got up early in the morning and they engaged with each other in these um, disciplines. Uh, one of the other men in that group was named William Morgan. He was an Irishman. And as part of their disciplines and practice of service and charity, Morgan introduced John and Charles and, and others in the group to the castle prison 
in Oxford where they began a ministry of visiting with those imprisoned there. Their, their ways, um, their focus, their, and some would say obsessiveness in Oxford didn't endear the early Methodists to others. They weren't exactly a popular bunch. The structure and discipline of their practices, um, their early morning prayer, their fasts on Wednesdays and Fridays began to draw criticism from others. Critics said that they were too structured, too, too rigid, too strict. And when Morgan, William Morgan, the Irishman who had introduced John and Charles to the practice of visiting at the castle prison, died in late August 1732, Wesley and the Oxford Methodists hit a crisis point. This was just a few years after the rigorous Holy Club had started. And many said that the strict methods of the group were to blame. They said that Morgan had weakened himself through fasting and other fanatical methods. It was a real turning point for this nascent movement, our movement. How would they respond? Well, many would say that we are at a crisis point in American history and Methodist history for that matter. There are strong and divergent views about what is the right way to do things, what are the most important priorities. Our inboxes and our news feeds are filled with many voices defending their way, criticizing the other way. And as the identified leader of the Methodists in the early days, Wesley could have responded to Morgan's death by um, uh, criticizing. He could have responded with a defense of Methodism distancing himself from Morgan's illness and death from the methods of the group, or he could have defended Morgan himself. But instead, he does something wholly different. A few months after Morgan's death, as criticism was reaching a crescendo on January 1st, 1733, Wesley preaches at Oxford a sermon entitled Circumcision of the Heart. It's one of the most powerful sermons he will preach and he'll refer to it throughout his life and ministry. In the sermon, Wesley lays out the fundamental claims of the Methodist movement. He proclaims that it's love emanating from faith, not proper manners, or particular methods or work done that is the true mark of the Christian life. As Wesley biographer and scholar Albert Outler has said, the sermon contains Wesley's most distinctive doctrine. Christian, and it is this, Christian perfection is to be understood as perfect love of God and neighbor rooted in radical faith in Christ's revelation of that love and its power. In today's cacophony of voices, the context is, is pressing on us and, it, and it's tempting to defend uh, particular aspects of our identities. But when we hear this message from early Methodism, it invites us to remember our true identity. We are children of God, created in love. 
And our job on earth is to love. If there is any litmus test for identity that we would accept, let it be love. And what is love? Well, Wesley suggests that this love is manifest in an acceptance of our need for God and an acceptance of our own limitations and delusions. The humility that comes before and follows such acceptance is what opens our hearts to love and to God, which in turn draws us into acts that show our love of neighbor. We are in such charged political environments in practically every setting we are in these days. And I confess to you, I myself have very strong political opinions. I began the sermon with some of them. But Wesley reminds us that our orientation is not left or right, but vertical with God and horizontal with all of humanity. In so much as a political act puts us in solidarity with God's people in love, then we are oriented correctly. I confess to you that I typically put a lot of faith in my own attention to the news and my own powers of analyzing and organizing and strategizing. But Wesley offers a corrective to this. He writes, another truth, which naturally follows from what has been said, is that none shall obtain the honor that cometh of God unless their heart be circumcised by faith, even a faith of the operation of God, unless refusing to be any longer led by their senses, appetites, or passions, or even by that blind leader of the blind, so idolized by the natural world, natural reason, they live and walk by faith directing every step as seeing that which is invisible, looks not at things that are seen, which are temporal, but at things that are not seen, which are eternal. This phrase really stuck out to me, refusing to be any longer led by that blind leader of the blind, so idolized by the natural world, natural reason. Oh my. What a radical statement in Berkeley, California, of all places. My daughter, who is 16, has told me she'll be wearing black on Monday, tomorrow, and she won't be celebrating the 4th of July. She's disgusted with the recent Supreme Court decisions and with the persistent and pernicious inequalities in a place that purports to be dedicated to the equality and to equality and justice for all and I celebrate her choice to do so. We might join her and we might also choose to celebrate tomorrow through a focus on the freedom we have to exercise our own religion, our own faith, and commit to Paul's exhortation that we be oriented toward the spirit and sow the seeds of goodness by faith. We might celebrate our faith through Wesley's admonition to orient our focus toward God and our path toward love 
love of God and love of neighbor. Now, please don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying not to be active, not to use your voice to advocate for a more just and peaceful world. I'm saying let it flow from absolute trust in God and out of the movement of the Spirit. Let it be guided by faith and above all, by love. Amen. Let there be peace on earth and let it be podcast for Epworth United Methodist Church in Berkeley, California. Wherever you're located, we'd love for you to take a next step in growing in faith in this community. Our online worship is at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings on Facebook, YouTube, and on our website at epworthberkeley.org. Or you can fill out an online connect card at epworthberkeley.org backslash connect. Have a great week. Traveling mercies, my lovers, my friends. Traveling mercies, till I see you again. Traveling mercies, out on that road. Traveling mercies, may love bring you
Say from it all. 